A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and he saw this boy in the dugout, and he said, hey, how's it going? The boy said, well, the score is 18 to nothing, and we're behind. The guy said, well, wow, you must be feeling kind of uh, depressed and hopeless. He said, no, I'm not depressed and hopeless. Why should I be? Our team hasn't even been up to bat yet. The message today is about a topic that is not only important, but one that is so needed, and that topic is hope. I read about a painting this week, and it's a painting of this uh, mountain cabin, and it was burned to the ground. The only thing left standing was the chimney, and there's this older man, he looks like a grandfather, and he's standing there in front of the, the chimney, and he's wearing his underclothes. And he's got his arm around this little boy, uh, looks like his grandson, and this little boy is clutching this, this worn-out pair of overalls, and he's crying. And underneath the painting are these words, Hus, child, God ain't dead. I thought about that. Isn't that a remarkable picture of hope? Whatever's happening in your life today, I want you to know this, God ain't dead. God is still in charge. God is still on his throne. And because of that, we can live with hope. And speaking of living with hope, <clears throat> I was sharing with, with someone this morning, I read an article in the Palm Beach Post this Friday, and it was about how the U.S. life expectancy is decreasing. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So I started reading the article. And it said one of the reasons that the U.S. life expectancy is going down is the rising rate of suicide. The suicide rate is higher than it's been for 50 years. And the article went on to say this, and I quote, Officials did not speculate about what's behind declining life expectancies. But Dr. William Dietz, a disease prevention expert at George Washington University, sees a sense of hopelessness. Financial struggles, a widening income gap, and divisive politics are casting a pall over many Americans. He suggested, I really do believe that people are increasingly hopeless. Now church, there's something that I am so certain of this morning, and it's this. God wants you and me to live with hope. Now how do I know that? Well, because God tells us that in his word. Look at this verse, written by a man named Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century, and he says this in Romans chapter 15. And I sure hope my clicker works this morning. Okay, let's try this. All right, tech team, I'm going to need some assistance here. Oh, there we go. Okay, sometimes we have to wait. See? That's what Advent is about, right? Waiting for God to come through. Now, let me read this verse for everything that was written in the past. Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament part of the Bible. Everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, and let's say that last word together, hope. The stories in this book are designed to give us hope. And you think about you know, the story of Adam and Eve and the story of, um, of Noah and the ark and Moses parting the Red Sea and David and Goliath and um, Daniel and the lions and all these stories are designed by God to give us something we can't live without, which is hope. But we use that word in some pretty interesting ways, don't we? For example, you might go to a, a sporting event or be watching something on TV and you say, man, I sure hope FSU wins this football game for a change. Um, you might be, you know, searching for a, a movie on Netflix and you're saying to yourself, man, I hope I can find a good movie or I hope they, they come out with a sequel to Avatar soon. Um, all these ways that we use the word hope. You might come to church on Sunday morning and say, I hope this is a short message. <laughs> when we use the word hope 
in that way it's really nothing more than wishful thinking, especially when it comes to the length of a message. But seriously, the Bible uses hope in a very specific way. Let me give you a working definition of hope, and this is on your outline. Hope is the confident expectation that God will do what he has promised. The confident expectation that God will do what he has promised. There was a time in Israel's history when they had just disobeyed God, and God allowed them to go into exile. They were conquered by the Babylonians. Now think about this. What would it be like to live in exile? I mean, you lose your job, you lose your home, um, you live in a place, you don't know the language, you don't know the customs. It's like being a prisoner of war, and there is no chance, zero chance, that you will ever go home. But God hasn't forgotten his people. And he wants them to live with hope. So God makes a promise. He says, in 70 years, I will come to you and you will go home. And that is the context for this verse from Jeremiah 29. God says to his people, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, Israel's hope depended on God keeping his promise to them, right? Right? And that's true for us. Our hope depends on us believing that God will do exactly what he says he will do. And we see that in Psalm 130. It says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, in his word, I put my hope. Now, we know that God wants us to live with hope. We know that God wants us to trust him, to keep his promises. But there's a very important question. Why should we do that? Why should we put our hope in God? And I want to answer that question this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, why should you live with hope? Now, I'd like to do this. I want to look briefly at a story. This is such a compelling story. It's in Luke's gospel. Luke is one of the, the people who wrote some books in the New Testament. He was a, um, a doctor. He was an historian. And he writes essentially a biography of Jesus. And he begins with the story of Jesus' birth. Many of you know the story in Luke 2 about the shepherds and the angels and all of that. Luke writes that story. And this is a time when there is great hope in Israel because they're expecting God to send a Savior. And remember what the angels say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so for Israel, they're going, man, God's finally going to bring us a deliverer. He's going to get rid of these Romans that are oppressing our nation. He's going to restore the glory days of Israel. And then Jesus grows up and, and people are going, man, do you see the miracles that he does? And his teaching is it's unbelievable. Nobody ever spoke like this man. And so the hope in Israel is sky high. And then on that week when Jesus enters Jerusalem on the donkey, everything starts to unravel because he's arrested. He's put on trial. He's killed. And when Jesus dies, it isn't just the hope of his disciples that, that dies. It's the hope of a nation. And three days after Jesus has been killed, two of his followers, two of his disciples, they're, they're walking to the city called Emmaus. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, and they're walking along, and Jesus, who is now risen from the dead, comes up and starts walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And so Jesus kind of enters the conversation and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? This is kind of my paraphrase. And they go, where have you been? Don't you have any idea what's been happening here in Jerusalem the last three days? They killed Jesus. Now, this is really interesting. This is what Luke writes in verse 20. They're describing what's happened, and they say this. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be crucified to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These two disciples of Jesus are devastated because things didn't work out the way they had hoped. Ever been there? Sad, discouraged, even depressed because things didn't work out the way you hoped they would? But we had hoped that I wouldn't lose my job. We had hoped that it wouldn't be cancer. We had hoped that somehow our marriage could be saved. We had hoped that our child wouldn't be involved in drugs. We had hoped that our life would turn out differently. I mean, why should you live with hope when your heart is broken and your life is falling apart? And here's the reason. When you're a Christian, you can live with hope because God really can be trusted to keep his word. God can be trusted to keep his word. And Jesus is going to hammer home this point with these two disciples because this is what he says to them. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, this is a prophecy candle. And in the Old Testament, prophets delivered God's word to God's people. And so when it comes to the promise of Messiah, they made predictions about where Jesus was going to be born, how he was going to live, how he was going to die, how he was going to rise from the dead. You might say that a prophecy is really a promise from God about what's going to happen in the future. And Jesus says, look, the reason you guys are hopeless is because you don't understand or believe what God has promised. And isn't that true of us? That's how we lose hope. We don't understand or we don't believe what God has promised to us. Think about this. When you wake up in the morning, why should you start your day with hope? I mean, why? Well, I'll tell you why as a Christian, you should and, and really can start your day with hope because God has made promises to you that he fully intends to keep. You know, I wake up in the morning and I think, well, God is with me and God is for me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna face some challenges today, but God's promised his wisdom. He's promised his strength. God's promised that he is never gonna leave me or forsake me. Now, think about this. When you really believe that, if you believe that God will never leave you, what will fill your heart? You can say the word. What will fill your heart? Hope. When you think, you know what? The Bible says that God has promised nothing in all of creation will ever separate me from his love. It will fill your heart with hope. You know, think about this. God has promised that he will bring to completion the good work that he started in you. That fills your heart with hope. And I think about this. When you're a believer... God says, hey, one day you're going to get a new earth suit. You're going to get a new body. I'll tell you what, the one I've got right now has got some dings in it. <laughs> Maybe that's true for you. And I think about that, and you know what it fills me with? Hope. Hope. And not only that, you know, God says in his word that, that everybody who trusts Jesus is going to have this grand reunion one day, where? In heaven. You know, there are people that I can't wait to see. I know that's true for many of you. And you know what that does? It fills our heart with hope. Because listen, God really can be trusted to keep his word. And here's something else. Here's something else. God can be trusted to accomplish his purpose in your life. God can be trusted to accomplish his purpose in your life. And, and that's another point that Jesus is making with these two disciples. Because look at what Jesus says to them again. He says, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now think about this. When Jesus was betrayed, when Jesus was arrested, when the soldiers punched him in the face, when they crushed that crown of thorns on his head, when they pounded nails in his hands and his feet, did it look like God was in control? 
The obvious answer is no, absolutely not. When they took the lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross, did it look like there was any reason for hope? No, but was God still in charge? Well, absolutely. And how do we know that? Because of the story. Three days later, Jesus comes back to life, and despite all opposition, despite all evidence to the contrary, God is able to accomplish his purpose in the life of his son. Now, follow the logic on this. If God is able to accomplish the purpose of Jesus, accomplish the purpose he has for Jesus' life, what does that mean for you and me? Well, God can do the same thing, right? God can accomplish his purpose in my life and in your life. Church, there's something that I want you to think about this morning because God used this thought to deeply encourage me this week. And I want to share that encouragement with you. And the thought is this, that the choices of other people do not and cannot overrule the sovereignty of God. Do you realize that? Now, how can I make such a bold statement? Because of the story of Jesus Christ. See, there were people in Jesus' life who'd made choices. Those choices eventually led to the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. The the choice that, that Judas made to betray him. The choice that Pontius Pilate made to condemn him. People made choices, but those choices could not overrule God's sovereignty in the life of his son. And here's why that is such an encouraging realization. Each one of us is affected not only by our own choices, but by the choices that other people make. Isn't that true? And sometimes those choices really hurt us. Sometimes those choices damage our dreams. Sometimes those choices disrupt our plans. But the choices of other people should never cause us to lose hope. Why? Because the choices of other people can never overrule the sovereignty of God. They can't change the fact that God is in charge of your life and my life. And because of that, we can live with what? We can live with hope. So why can we live with hope? Because God can be trusted to keep his word. God can be trusted to accomplish his purpose in your life. And here's another thing. God can be trusted to accomplish his purpose in this world. Now, this is something that happens in this walk uh, where Jesus is walking along these two disciples. It's in verse 45. It says, Then he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And here's what's going to happen. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Do you realize that this prophecy by Jesus is taking place right now? That around the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached and people's lives are being forever changed. And so listen, listen, world history is going to unfold according to the purpose and plan of Almighty God. There is no dictator, there is no president, there is no parliament, there is no politician that can keep God from accomplishing what God has planned to do. And so when you watch the news at night, because sometimes the news is, well, pretty crazy. We know the world's a mess, but we don't have to be hopeless. Why? Because God's in charge. You know, God's not up in heaven going, oh, no. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, he's not, he's not having a panic attack. He's not pacing back and forth and wringing his hands. Listen, God is on his throne, and God's purpose will prevail. And because of that, we can live with what? You bet we can. Now, let me, let me just make a, a transition here, because I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about the benefits of living with hope. Because I believe we can learn to do that. 
So what are the benefits if you're actually living with hope? And here's the first. It's on your outline. Hope in God makes you what? Makes you strong. How many of you (laughs) would like some strength this holiday season? Man, I sure would. And I love this verse from the book of Isaiah. Um, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their what? Their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I remember thinking about this verse. And, you know, let me leave it up on the screen for a minute because there are times when you're just doing really well emotionally and spiritually. I mean, you're so strong. It's like you're flying, right? You're soaring. Man, I'm having a great day. But is every day like that? No, not by a long shot. But some days are pretty good, right? You have a certain amount of strength and you're running along and you're not weary. But what about the last option there? The days when you're so tired you can barely put one foot in front of the other. It's all you can do just to walk and not faint. Here's the common thread with all of those things. Hope gives you the strength to keep going. Whether you're walking or running or flying, hope propels you forward. Because hope is the confident expectation that God will do exactly what he's promised. And that's why hope makes us strong. Now here's another benefit of hope. Hope in God is an anchor for your soul. Hope in God is an anchor for your soul. You know, we need an anchor because we live in such an unpredictable and unstable world. Isn't that true? I love the verses in the Bible that says, God is my refuge. God is my rock. And look at this verse in, in Hebrews that says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Do you ever feel like this as you go through your, your day that you're riding this emotional roller coaster? You know, one minute you're up here and the next you're down here and you wonder, how did I get down here? You know, sometimes we look at situations in our lives. You know, maybe you're married this morning and you look at your marriage and you go, wow, we're doing pretty well. We're really getting along. This is good. We're trusting each other. And the next day you go, who am I kidding? This is never going to work out. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, you're a parent and you look at your kids and you think, wow, you know, this parenting thing is not that tough. I mean, they're listening to me. They're actually doing what I say. They're saying please and thank you. I can't believe this. And the next day you go, who are these kids? Or, Or maybe you're at work, you know, and you're having a good day at work and you think, man, I love my job. You know, I'm accomplishing some important things here. Man, this is great. And the next day you go, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate the people I work with. I feel trapped. I would quit, but I can't because I need the money. We ride this emotional roller coaster, and I think this is especially true during the month of December. Because, you know, sometimes we're looking at the holidays and we're thinking, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. It's going to be great. We're going to have the family over and we're going to hang out and I get time off work and, and the next minute you're going, oh, I, I, just, I just wish we could skip to January. Because the truth is, my life, my family, we don't look like a Norman Rockwell painting. We don't even look like a Publix commercial. I mean, we're a mess. I'll tell you this. I was, I was talking to my wife, Chris, this morning as we were driving to church and I said, honey, it's December. Brace for impact. And this is true every Christmas season. You know, I think part of the reason for that is that during the holidays, it's almost like this this pain and disappointment in our hearts rises to the surface. 
You know, sometimes it's because of conflict in our families or conflict inside us, and we're just more aware of it. Sometimes it's because we've lost somebody that we love, and we're just so sad that they're no longer with us. Or maybe it's the idea that you get all the way to December and you look back over the year and you had these goals, you had these dreams, and they still haven't come true. Jesus came to our world to bring us hope. And that's what that first Christmas is all about. It was a promise kept by God. Because if you go back to the very beginning when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God says, you know what, a child's going to be born. And this child will make it possible for our relationship to be reconciled. And God kept his promise. And because God kept his promise, we can live with what? We really can live with, with hope. Let me um, point out one more benefit of living with hope. And this is on your outline as well. Hope in God brings joy and peace. Brings joy and peace. Look at this verse from Romans 15. I love this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this idea of overflowing with hope. And so I want to just do a little demonstration here about overflowing with hope. Now this is a pitcher filled with hope. Can you see the hope here? Okay, this is is the hope that God has and God pours his hope into our lives. Do you see the verse up there? It says, so that you may what? overflow, overflow with hope. Wouldn't it be great to live your life like that? Because what happens when God fills your heart with hope and just keeps pouring the hope in? What happens to that hope? Man, it just spills out everywhere. Do you realize this is what God calls us to do and to be? To be people that are always standing under the waterfall of his grace so that he pours hope into us and we pour out that hope into the lives of other people. There's a great verse, this in 1 Peter, and it says this. Let me put it up on the screen there. It says, well, let me just point you to this principle here. Well, we'll go to this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We had a staff meeting here on, on Thursday, and I was sharing with the staff that When I got here to the church Thursday morning, um, I didn't go into my office. I decided to walk around the building and pray. And so I'm walking around the parking lot. I get to the east side of the the building here. I look over at Somerset, and all these students are there in the courtyard. I mean, I don't know how many, hundreds. And I'm thinking about these students that God made them, God loves them, and how much they need to know that. And I was thinking, you know, every single one of these kids has a story. Every single one of them has stuff going on in their lives And I'm sure a lot of it's hard. And what they need is hope, the hope that comes from knowing that God does care about them and wants them to know his purpose for their lives. And so then I I walked around to the other side of our building, over here on the west side, and I looked at the hospital parking lot. It was filled with cars. In fact, I stood on the picnic table so I could see as many cars as possible. And I thought to myself, you know, everybody who walks through the doors of that hospital needs one thing whether they're a patient or are visiting a family member or a nurse or a doctor or medical staff, what do they need? Hope. And as I I prayed for the students, as I prayed for the the people in the hospital, there was this thought that, that came into my mind, and it was simply this, that God wants me to arrange my life 
so that I can share my hope in Jesus with others. He really does. And I believe that's true for every single follower of Christ. Church, we have an incredible treasure. We have hope because of Jesus. And I want you to think about that during this month of December. Who can you share your hope with? I mean, maybe it's a person that lives under the same roof. Maybe it's somebody at school or somebody at work or somebody in your neighborhood. Listen, December can be such a busy time. Isn't that true? But I really believe God wants us to slow down and look at the people he's placed in our lives and encourage them and listen to them and say, hey, hey, get your head up. There's hope. And church, family, we need to do that for each other. We really do. Uh, Let me just encourage you. You know, we have these services on Sunday morning every seven days. You can invite people to come here because I will guarantee you this. They will hear the good news about Jesus Christ and they will have the opportunity to step into the hope that God has for them. And that's especially true on Christmas Eve. You know, I pray, church, that we will just fill this place up. So take those cards. Ask God for an opportunity to invite somebody. Say, God, would you put a yes in their heart? Did you know, by the way, that... um, Survey says, statistics show that 80% of the people who are invited to a church service in America will attend. So let's invite people to come and hear about the hope that only Jesus can give. And church, let me say this. In this world that can be so dark at times, there are a lot of people that are sliding into hopelessness. And if that's you this morning, If you're feeling hopeless, please do something. Please say something. Please reach out to somebody. Talk to a friend here in the church. Talk to a staff member. Talk to me. Because I will tell you this. God wants you to live with hope. And here's how that is possible. We have to step out of the darkness into God's marvelous light, the light of his love, believing that God can be trusted to keep his promises. Believing the words of Jesus when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.